Well, good morning, Mission Church. Good morning, Myerstown. Good morning, Lancaster campus. It is indeed uh, the first Sunday of 2020, New Year, uh, new sermon series. You fired up for that? Say, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Pull out your Bible. You indeed are going to need it. Uh, if you are new to Mission Church, uh, we would want our gift to you this morning uh, to be a Bible for sure. Uh, we have bookshelves full out in our lobby at the Lancaster campus, and Pastor Nate uh, can hook you up after service as well at our Myerstown campus. Uh, this series is all about God's Word. Uh, this series is all about God's Word. Amen. Anyone love God's Word? Amen. Mm, I cannot wait to kick off this series. And I cannot wait uh, for the weeks that follow for once I kick off this series, each of our pastors is going to be taking a message in this series, really addressing a portion of understanding as it pertains to God's word that is especially uh, within their gifting and within their strength. And uh, what, uh, what a blessing it is to be uh, at a church uh, full of people who love God's word, uh, who are led by leaders who can handle God's word faithfully. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that we have your word to study. Father, we thank you that um, you desire to communicate with us through it. God, I would pray today that you would enlighten our minds to understand it better. Father, I pray that we would have greater confidence this morning in your word Father, I pray today that we would leave here while we may not grasp every detail of the morning, that we would leave here knowing that your word has stood the test of time for generations, that men and women, fathers of the faith who came before us, Father, we stand upon their shoulders as it pertains to living out the truths that are in this book. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the apostles and the prophets and those who penned these letters inspired by you. Strengthen us today, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of the church said? Amen. Amen. So, um, welcome to class. <laughs> Curious to know, uh, when's the last time you sat in one of these? Um, if you sit in the Lancaster campus on this section of the worship center, Pastor Jared does reserve that section for our students. So come on, gang, how long has it been for you? I don't know, one, one or two days ago? You're like, man, I can't even get away from it at church now. Others of you, others of you, it's been a little while, hasn't it? How long has it been? How many, how many, are we counting in years? Are we counting in decades now? Are we counting in, how about millennia? Are anybody counting and it's been a couple millennia since I've sat in a desk like this? Come on. If you see me sitting here, you do see me sitting here. Um, what emotion does it bring? How many of you are all like, oh my word, I would go back to school in a second if I could. Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. Well, yeah, Tracy White's raising her hand because she's my son's kindergarten teacher. She is going back to school tomorrow. I can hear my grandmother's words in my head right now saying to me, like literally almost every single day, all these are the best years of your life. And I'm like, yo, life is really bad for y'all. 
How many of you are on that side of the deal? Like, I, I would not step foot back in my school if you paid me a whole lots of bills. Come on, who am How many? How, how's come there's more? How's come? I need to go back to school. <laughs> Why is it that there's more hands to not want to go back to school than the fact that, come on, why am I sitting at a desk right now? I'm sitting at a desk right now, and I'm sitting at a very small desk right now because, indeed, it is at elementary school. And for me, it was in kindergarten as well, where we learned the basics, where we learned the elementary principles, where we learned the rudiments, where uh, we learned the ABCs and the one, two, threes that we would build upon all the knowledge that would come in the years to come all found its basis and all found its foundation in these early years of learning. Why am I sitting at a desk? Because this symbolizes going back. And sometimes in order for us to move forward, in order for us to accumulate more, in order for us to grow, we actually have to go back and strengthen the foundation. We've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to go backwards sometimes so that we are able to go forwards. The basics. Understanding and gaining confidence in God's Word. If you're here at church, then um, it's probably likely that you understand that God's Word is valuable. It's likely that you see God's word as precious. Some of you may be coming here for the first time and you're not so sure, but you know this much. The Bible's been around for a really long time. Why a series like this? Because if we're honest, some of us, uh, we actually never sat in this desk as it pertains to the Bible. Some of us, were, we, we respect God's word, we honor God's word, but if we were really honest with ourselves, we never actually sat ourselves down in the elementary school desk and learned the basics of the Bible. How to study it. Where did it come from? What's the big idea? How can I be sure that I'm understanding it well? And how, how can I be sure that I'm applying it faithfully to my life the way God would want me to? Reality is, many of us have never sat at that desk. Others of us, we have sat at that desk. But you know what? First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade. Come on, you can count. You learned it back there. And you get all the way out here, and all of a sudden, it becomes something other than what it originally was for you. You see, if we were honest with ourselves, yeah, we love God's Word, but it's been a long time that God's Word was something that I came to excited for, something that brought me refreshment. If some of us were very honest, we would admit that our relationship with the Bible can become very complicated at times. Some of us, we come back to this desk, and we look at this desk, and what we pick up off the desk as it pertains to the Bible is a big old textbook. And that just completely overwhelms you. Others of you, you pick up the textbook, and you're like, oh, man, I can't get enough of this. I am a brainiac, smartiac, and my head is going to be so big, no one's going to like me. 
Others of you, you come to this desk and you pick up the Bible much more like a Cliff's Notes. You remember Cliff's Notes? You know what Cliff's Notes were? Shame on you. <laughs> you should not remember what Cliff's Notes were unless that other kid was carrying it in his bag. You know what I'm saying? What are Cliff's Notes for? Cliff's Notes are kind of those, those little pamphlets that we pick up when we are in urgent need. Like when we have a test coming up. Like when we know we're going to be quizzed on something. We pick up the Cliff's Notes and we try to cram real fast. And there's a lot of us who come up on life's test and we say to ourselves, I better get back to the desk quick and pick up some portion of God's Word because I heard that there are some answers and there are some power and if I get back into this thing, maybe God will show up today and bail me out. You see, we have a little bit of a complicated relationship with the Bible at times. And we're coming back to the basics. We're coming back to the beginning to set this anchor. God's word says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman who does not need to be ashamed who can rightly handle the word of truth. That's how I memorized it in the KJV. When I could barely walk. The goal of God's word. The goal of God's word. Is it something to study? Yes. Is it something to study? Yes. Is it something to dig into? Yes. Is there an understanding element to it? Yes. But what is the goal? Study to show. Study to show. Show and study. You see, God's word is about this. It's about your walk, your daily walk with the Lord. It begins with God's word. It's about learning and living. And the more that I live, the more I realize I need to learn. And then the more that I learn, the more I want to put it into practice. And the more that I put it into practice, I realize there's more that I need to learn. And the more that I learn, the more that I live. And so it's learning and living. It's, it's studying and showing. It's studying and showing. It's learning and it's living over and over and over and over again. Psalm 119, 130. I'm so glad verses like this exist in the Bible. Learning. Wasn't always the fastest learner in school, that's for sure. Psalm 119, 130 says this, The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Yo, I'm just a simple guy. Raised in a blue-collar home, would probably be turning wrenches if I wasn't doing this. God imparts knowledge to the simple. That's me. That's you. We learn when we try. Living. Psalm 119, 105. Your word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so, welcome to school. Here is our first equation of the day. Learning plus living. You see, studying equals learning plus living. Learning plus living so that it can equal love in our lives. Learning plus living equals loving. Loving God. Learning plus living means loving His Word. Learning plus living means loving His world. The more I learn, the more I live, the more in love I fall with God, his word, my family, 
my friends, my church, and my world. This is my sustenance. This is my fuel. 1 John 5, 2 says this. Here's a verse for the, for the equation you have in front of you. By this we know that we love the children of God. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments, when we obey His word, read it backwards. When we read His word, when we obey His commandments, we love God. When we read His word, when we obey His commandments, we love God and we love others. When we obey His word and we read His word, we love God, we love others, and we fall more deeply in love with His word. Basics. Not merely a textbook, and certainly not cliff notes. Question for you, though. Um, what were your favorite subjects in school? Ask my sons. Gym class. Ask me. Like, Botech. Like, teach me something I can get my hands on. Teach me something I can touch. Show me something I can do. I got to be honest with you all, no offense to you smarties in the room, but like I was sitting in chemistry class, I raised my hand, or actually I talked to the teacher after class, and I'm like, I am so sorry, I, I, I am falling behind in this class, and I cannot see uh, one way I'm ever going to use this in my life. And she said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I told her, and she said, you're probably right. <laughs> we actually became really good friends after that. I love the subjects I could get my hands on, and I love the teachers who made it real. I just loved to be in the classes, even if I was getting lost from time to time. I could tell the teacher was passionate about what he was talking about, or she was talking about. They were able to connect the dots and say, this is what it says, this is what it means, now just go and do it. It is not lost on me from time to time at the breadth of our messages that not every detail lands squarely upon us. But man, I would hope that week after week, regardless of who stands here, what you're seeing is passion, what you're hearing is important. That you have something to grasp, to take with you that God desires to apply to your life. And so this morning, listen. Listen to this list of reasons why it is important that you grasp God's word. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what God's word does for you. It reveals to you salvation. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word, say word, word, word of God. It brings maturation and growth. Just like a small infant yearns for milk, so do we yearn for God's word because it helps us grow. Confidence. Confidence. It is not lost on me that so often when we have doubts in our lives, the question you ask is, are you spending time in God's word? Are you praying with, to him? It's fascinating how our doubts are often proportionate with the amount of time we're spending in God's word. Guidance, it's a lamp, it's a lamp, it's a lamp, it guides us. Oh, how many times would I have turned the wrong way except for somebody I love come to me with God's word in their hand. Conviction, conviction, 
How many times have we read God's word, sat under the teaching of God's word, we're sitting in a small group with God's word, and there it was. Here it comes. It's sharp, and it's active, and it pierces like a double-edged sword. Guidance, power, conviction, it's our source of fellowship. Our fellowship is based upon the unity that we agree who Jesus Christ is because the Bible tells us who Jesus is. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, that is the basis of our fellowship. God's word cleanses us. God's word gives us victory over temptation. Oh, victory over temptation. Just think about it. Matthew 5, Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the adversary. And what does he call upon? It's God's word. He quotes God's word. God's word is your defense. God's word is your shield. God's word is your sword. All of us in the major temptations of our lives ought to have a portion of God's word in our grasp at our times of deepest temptation. They need not be long verses, but they, trust me, they're all pretty sharp. Success. Don't get the wrong idea, but nevertheless, Joshua 1.8. For when you make God's word your way, for when you study God's word, it will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success, is what the Lord said unto Joshua. Satisfaction. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. My soul is consumed with a longing. If you're lacking contentment in your life, I challenge you, dig into God's word. Success, satisfaction, joy. I found your words and I ate them. That is a weird verse, right? I found your word. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight to my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God. God's word brings life. In the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. It's the word. It's the word. It's the words that I have spoken, Jesus said to you, that are spirit and life. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom is knowledge put into action. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. My only hope in this earth from moving beyond a simple-minded man is in the book that sits in front of me. It also brings warning and it brings reward. It brings warning and it brings reward. Psalm 1911 how many times you've been warned by God's word and how many times have you reaped the benefit of following God's word? Moreover, by them, by his word, by his statutes, by his commandments is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Why study God's word? You'll, the very basis the very foundation of your faith rests on this book. And so here's where we're headed. Today is this, the source of God's word. Where did it come from? And why should we trust it? Next week, the scope of God's word, the scope of the Bible. What is the Bible all about? 
Week three, the study of the Bible. How do we learn to study God's word for ourselves? Week four is the spirit of the word, the spirit of the Bible. How can we confidently know that we're understanding God's word? And then finally is the strength of the Bible, the strength of God's word. And here we're going to learn how it changes us and how we can make application to our everyday lives. And so you ready? Are you ready? Do you have your thinking caps on? Do you have your thinking caps on? I haven't put mine on in a while. I trust that you're going to need it today. Is your pencil sharpened? Trust me. You're going to want your pencil sharpened this morning. If you're ready to learn, if you're ready to live, if you're ready to love God and his word more, say, come on, let's go. Here we go. Second Peter. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. That is in the New Testament of your scriptures. Go toward the back of your Bible and come backwards if you want and come frontwards if you want. 2 Peter, by the way, guess what? It comes right after scholars in the room. 1 Peter. That should help. The Apostle Peter has written this letter um, to the churches and he's coming and he's warning He's warning believers about false teachers who are creeping into the church. They're coming in and they're bringing myths and they're bringing fables and they're beginning to attack some of the key doctrines of the faith. Most notably, the second coming of Jesus. And the church is beginning to fall for these fables. They're beginning to latch on to these tales. And Peter comes along and he says, come on, you've heard the teaching. You have portions of God's word that you ought to be digging into. He comes and he essentially drops the hammer on these false teachers who are twisting God's word and making it say something that it ought not and does not say. And so he writes these Christians to give them confidence in God's word. Take a look at the text, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Remember, to the false teachers, now to the believers who are twisting the truths, what does he say? To the church, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's talking about himself and the apostles and the others. We, he's saying, we early church leaders, we didn't come with myths or fables, we came giving you testimony about what we saw firsthand. Verse 17. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, when the Father said from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We will talk about that. Now verse 19, in light of this, Peter says, we now have a prophetic word more fully confirmed. Your translation may say more sure. We have a prophetic word now more sure. We have God's word now more fully confirmed than ever, he's saying, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy has ever, was ever produced by the will of man. But man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Today we gain confidence in the source of God's word. Two basic truths about the source of God's word. I got two basic points. But yet you got four pages to take notes on. Come on, you do the math. When it comes to the source of God's word, here's the first thing you need to know. God wrote the entire book. The Bible teaches that God wrote the entire book. God wrote the entire Bible. God wrote the book. Come on, participate with me. Who wrote the book? Tell me. God. One more time. Who wrote the book? God. And if God wrote the book, that means this book is worthy to be trusted. Starting on the back end of this passage we just read, look at what Peter says. Listen, no prophecy, no writing of Old Testament scripture was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men wrote as led, as directed by the Holy Spirit of God. This reminds us, doesn't it? Of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Pastor Nate's going to unpack this passage more, but at the very beginning of this verse, what does it say? All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. How much of scripture? Tell me. All, All scripture. All scripture. You see, this is the doctrine of divine revelation. That God revealed to men truths that we otherwise wouldn't know. God revealed it. God revealed it. God revealed it. And the fact that he used men is now this. Come on, write this down. This is the doctrine of inspiration. God divinely revealing his truth. Work through men to record the word of God. All scripture has been inspired has been inspired by God. Inspiration means in, originated with. It came from God. And this inspiration, it extends to the whole of the Bible. And it also, it also includes every part of the Bible. Inspiration extends to the whole of the Bible, but it also speaks of every part, every word of the Bible. You have your thinking caps on? So to the whole thing, this is called plenary inspiration. I'm just going to put this apple up here to remind us that we're learning some words that may be new to us. Plenary inspiration means the, to the whole thing, total, complete. The whole word, plenary inspiration, was inspired by God. Verbal inspiration says this, every single word, every single word word not just the thoughts the words not just what it teaches everything that it says when we read all scripture as god breathed now when we read all scripture as god breathed we want to be good we want to be accurate bible students when we read that and i want to make sure that you understand that when paul said all scripture is inspired by god 
when it says that no prophecy is a matter of one's own private interpretation, but rather it was given to us by God, let us be crystal clear that what Paul and Peter had in their scope, what they were specifically talking about in these passages was the Old Testament text. Why would that be? Think about it. Think about it. That's what they had. They had the Old Testament. So they're talking specifically about the Old Testament. Because they were in the process, right, of writing the New Testament. And so it explicitly, Peter and Paul are talking about how the Old Testament texts were inspired by God. They didn't make them up in some back room somewhere. But by implication, this doctrine and this teaching and this truth extends to the New Testament as well. Why is that true? Because the authors of the New Testament, by their own testimony, knew that they were writing the inspired word of God. You got a verse for that? I do. Two, actually. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The Apostle Paul writes this, as we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, hear it? When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really was, the word of God, which is at work in you as believers. You see it? The Apostle Paul says, look, you, you received the word of God from me. Now, just don't take the Apostle Paul's word for it, like who would be kind of a, kind of a boss dog, if you will, in the early church? The, the Apostle Peter was kind of like, upon this rock, I'll build my church guy, right? Good, listen to his testimony, 2 Peter 3.16, regarding Paul's writings. Verse 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. Come on, you see what it says next? As they do the rest of the scriptures. You see it? Peter is placing Paul's writing in the category of the scriptures. And so what we're saying is this. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed from cover to cover. Friends, just think about what you're holding in your hands. As a Christian, as a person of faith, trusting Jesus Christ as Savior comes from a knowledge, comes from an instruction, comes from a teaching out of this book. So how you regard and where you place this book in priority and preeminence in your life has every bearing on your faith. All Scripture was breathed by God. Come on, follow this. Titus 1, 2, and God who does not lie. The book was written by God, and God does not lie, Titus 1, 2. So you know what that means? It is trustworthy. John 17, 17, we, we are sanctified by the truth of God, for his word is truth. You see, believing that God wrote this book means that we believe and we teach as a church, and we stand on this. It is infallible, and it is inerrant. It is infallible, and it is inerrant. That and, hear me. You may not get this today. Some of you will. That and is so important. It is infallible, 
and it is inerrant. Infallible says it is true in all that it teaches. There's no errors in the instruction of God's word. And Aaron says, though, it is true, it is true, it is true in everything that it says. And where you see discrepancy, come on, bring it and study that we might be able to handle God's word accurately. And so now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, all right, good. So we've got this down. God's word says it's God's word, right? God's word says it's God's word. Is it really fair and a rational argument? Can you really use God's word just saying that it's God's word to prove that it's God's word? Like, is that, is that allowed? Isn't that like circular reasoning of some kind? Like, can I just be like, hey, I'm the boss because I said I'm the boss. Does that work in your world? Not mine. Except for all scripture is given by God. You see, for me, the scripture saying that it is authoritative, inspired, and true is a matter of faith, and I believe it. The Bible settles it. It says it, and that settles it for me. But what I want you to capture today is this, is that was also what settled it for the apostles as well. Because that is exactly Peter's argument in this text. It's that, here. watch, here's his argument. It's that what he learned matched what he lived. What he saw matched what God's word said. What he experienced was found in God's word. Look at the text. Go back to verse 16. Myths, fables flying about. He's about to confront their misuse of God's word. Look, we don't follow cleverly devised myths when making known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, look, here's what I want you to hear. We were eyewitnesses. So here we go. Peter is calling upon his own personal experience for sure. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by majestic glory, when God cried out from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard that voice, Peter said, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Come on, what was that holy mountain? He's pointing back to the Mount of Transfiguration. The Apostle Peter, who saw the glory of God, The Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who worked with Jesus, who helped distribute the fishes and the breads. Back to elementary school I go. What is he pointing to right now? We have a prophetic word now made more sure, he says. 
He actually uses the word of God to validate his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he takes that experience on the mountain of transfiguration and he draws it over here and says, and because I experienced this, I now know God's word even more sure. And you would do well to pay attention, he says. He elevated God's word above the experience, but he didn't minimize the experience because it matched God's word. Friends, that is power in every apologetic. When what you read is what is seen in your everyday life, but yet what is experienced in your life on every account, on every occasion, it needs to be measured by the authority of God's word. That's what Peter's doing here. I know what happened on that mountain was real because it matched the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament. And because my, because my experience matched what the prophets said would happen, I now have more confidence in God's word. Would we not do well to put God's word to the test in this way? Obey God's word. Do what God's word says. And you tell me. But also this. The measurement, the songs that we sing should match God's word. The choices that we make should match God's word. The things that fire me up should match and be permissible in God's word. The things that I spend my time on Where is the priority of God's word? Where does it meet on your personal scale of importance? So to be clear, the Bible itself claims to be God's word. To be clear, the Bible itself claims to be God's word. 3,800 times in the Bible it says God said. 3,800 times. It either says God says or it says thus saith the Lord. And the apostles died believing and defending that Jesus Christ was here. And they gave their lives to teaching, believing and defending the authority of the scriptures that you hold in your hands. God says it. God's word says it, and for me, I believe it, but I understand that in a room of this size, that additional information might be helpful. Additional confirmation may be helpful. But let me just be clear, this is supplementary, not primary. Think of all the confidence that we have in this world. Take all the disciplines of academia that exist around us. Put yourself back in the seat. And now come to God's word. Lay it on your desk if you need. And think about this. We can find confidence today in the unity of God's word. The unity of God's word. 66 books. Come on, 66 books. 40 different authors. Written over the span of 1,600 years. One central message. 
No discrepancies that can't be handled with proper study. 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, 40 different authors, 1,600 years, one message, no errors, and we've held this book for a very, very, very long time. How about its historicity? How about the historicity of the Bible? Many people have doubted even the existence of Jesus. It's important for us to recognize today. I had a lot of fun this week actually looking at some contemporary apologists like uh, Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict, great, great resource, pick it up. Jonathan Murrow, questioning the Bible, Ravi Zacharias and RZM Ministries and some others. And in some of my meandering, I was, came across this. Do you realize that 16 ancient historians outside of the New Testament referenced the life of Jesus? There are more mentions historically of Jesus than there are Caesar. Nobody's doubting him and his existence. The unity of the Bible, the historicity of the Bible. How about the authenticity of the Bible? That the Bible that you're holding is actually the Bible that was written by the original authors. The way that smart people measure this is how close are the documents and the transcripts and the manuscripts from the original writings and how many of these manuscripts do we actually have? We have manuscripts that are 35 to 40 years from the original. Do you realize what that means? There are people alive who could have said, that's not right. That's why it matters. Other ancient manuscripts and other ancient writings are decades upon decades upon decades upon decades behind that number. Hundreds of years by some. The number of copies, come on, 66,420 manuscripts and scrolls exist concerning the Bible. Somebody thought it was important. That's more obviously than any other trusted ancient work of antiquity by a huge margin. It's unity, it's historicity, it's authenticity. Come on, more big words. It's canonicity. You better buckle, one more buckle on the thinking cap. Canonicity. Canon, a rod, a measuring rod. A standard by which things are measured. This Bible that you're holding in your hand was not flippantly assembled. The process of canonization and confirming the 66 books belong here was a scrutinizing process for sure. The Old Testament, by the way, had been assembled by the Jews over the course of the centuries. Not much doubt there. As early as 80, 95 AD, the early church and the council of Dimnia confirmed the canonicity of the Old Testament. The New Testament, by 367, the Council of Athanasius affirmed the, mo- the greater portion of the New Testament, and then by 397 in the Council of Carthage, all 27 books of the New Testament were assembled within as canon. What was the process? 
Come on, here's four A's. Four A's of canonicity. You ready? First one is this. Was it authoritative? Was it authoritative? Did the book claim to be God's word? Does it say God says? Does it say God says? Was it generated apostolic or prophetically? Meaning this, was it written by an apostle? Was it written by a prophet? Or was it written by an eyewitness who would have been on the scene or with those on the scene? Is it authoritative? Is it apostolic? Thirdly, is it authentic? Is it consistent with the rest of God's word that we know for sure to be true? Is it authentic? Is it consistent with the greater works of God's word? And then fourthly, was it accepted? Is it accepted by the broader church? And what you will find as you go back and that you study is the book that you hold in your hand, these 66 books, 39, 27, they were widely, 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 and almost unanimously accepted by the early church from the beginning as far back as you can possibly go. Again, authoritative, apostolic, authentic, accepted. The unity of God's word, the historicity of God's word, each of these, their own study and their own discipline by themselves. I invite you, for those who are so inclined, dig into the authenticity and the manuscripts and all that comes with it. Take a look, a closer look at canonicity, if you will. Oh, you can geek out for years. Archaeology is a friend of the Bible. Archaeology has been a huge friend of the Bible. One of the great, one of the great, one of the great arguments is, oh, geez, I don't see that anywhere on a map. Careful with that argument, by the way, because we'll just keep digging. The pool, the pool, the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, for a real long time, there's no pool there. How could it be? The, the gospel of John must not be trustworthy. How about the city of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth? For, for, for years and years, they couldn't find Nazareth. Therefore, therefore, we can't trust it. How about the Hittites from the Old Testament? Now, friends, all three of these things have been excavated and discovered. And even now, according to Josh McDowell, you can go, at least when he wrote this, you could have gone to Harvard University and studied the Hittite language. How's that for not existing? <laughs> I don't mean to be trite or flippant in our defense of these things. All I'm saying is, If you're going to give your life to something, if you're going to order your life around this, you need to know you're not crazy. Maybe a little bit. But not in the moron kind of way. But you have rational evidence. Smart people, much smarter than me, have given their lives to the defense of this book. And I understand that really smart people, smarter than me, have given their lives to tearing this book apart. But you know what? It's here. It's here. It's here. And people and nations and cultures and civilizations have given themselves and ordered themselves and bettered themselves by the teaching that they find in this book. And I'm telling you, for me, God's word says it. God's word's changed my life. And that is the greatest defense for me. But it's not the only defense for me. Take the prophecies. 
Take the hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies that have clearly been fulfilled in Christ. Prophecies written 1,500 years prior. And what of science? What of it? I love science. We should love science as well. It's not as great a foe as you would first or be taught to believe. Do you know that Isaiah 40, verse 22, tells us that the earth is round? Crazy when that was written. It's crazy talk when that was written. Job 26, 7, that the earth hangs on nothing. Ecclesiastes 1, 7 speaks of hydrology and the water cycle and the water's coming back up. Leviticus 17.11, speaking of the circulatory system, that there's life in the blood. Love this. Come on, how about the laws of thermodynamics? Nothing ceases. Yeah, we know. Everything goes from order to disorder. Yeah, come to my house. <laughs> but read your Bible. It's here. It's indestructible. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. That's what we believe. Again, as a pretty simple guy, let me just say this. The greatest offense, though, for me is it's changed my life. It's changed my life. And I've watched it change countless other lives. I've watched dead hearts come alive. I've seen marriages and relationships be restored. I've witnessed people find forgiveness and the power to forgive which they didn't have before. Nothing brings me greater joy than to see people learn God's word and then live God's word. Learn God's word and live God's word. Learn God's word and live God's word. And that's why, friends, we're not apologizing for the depth of the messages, the depth of the class, and the length that we go. This is what we've got. This is what we've got. This is what God's given us. This is the basis of our faith. Get fired up about this. Because the word will endure forever. God wrote the entire thing. But I love this next point too. Know this. God worked through everyday men to give it to us. God worked through everyday men to give it to us. Look at verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Right? For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God. So clarity, God wrote it, but God did use men. God did use people like you and me. And the people that God used knew it. Again, Galatians 1, verse 12, the Apostle Paul speaks of the truth that I received through a revelation from Jesus Christ. The best part is they were simple men, most of them. Shepherds. Murderers. Forgiven. Kings, prophets, 
Pharisees, fishermen, simple men, high class, low class, intellectual, blue collar. How beautiful is this? That God worked through people, simple people like you and me. He used their personalities. He used their language of the day. He used their giftedness. They were not robots. He didn't put them in some kind of trance. Read the books of the Bible and you'll see it for yourself. All 40 individuals, all 40 men wrote authoritatively in their own style. Consider it. Moses, who wrote 20% of the Bible, the first five books. And some Psalms. He captures, we, we just studied this, the emotion of Moses. Jeremiah, you can feel his weeping. Daniel, the intensity of the, of the prophecies and him taking a stand before. Matthew carries with him his Jewishness. He wears it on his sleeve. Luke, the doctor, he's going to use great detail and precision. John, the fisherman, not so much. It was about yay big. But he's going to use a whole lot of imagery. That's why we have a lot of new believers read the Gospel of John. Paul, the former Pharisee, 13 full letters, full of imperatives and run-on sentences. <laughs> they used the language of the day as well. Hebrew, Aramaic, Koine Greek. Simple language to the day. Why? The Bible was written so the average person could understand it. Like, if you walk out of here with these two things, God wrote a book and we have good reason to trust it, and God used men to write it so I can understand it, that's what I want you to leave here with. You can understand the Bible. You can read the Bible. God wrote the Bible so that you can read it. Don't take your literacy for granted. Yes, many generations have been taught audibly for sure, and that is powerful as well, but you can actually read God's word for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it, and please don't. Be a Berean. Dig in. Study. Listen, my job, the pastor's job, the elder's job, the leader's job is to equip the saints, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, to do the work of ministry so that you can study God's word and live it out for yourself. Nothing would give me greater joy than at the end of this series to know that there are this many times two roomfuls of people who are taking God's word on a regular basis, studying it for themselves, and then coming in here loaded for bear on a Sunday. He wrote it so you can read it, so you can cook your own feasts, so that you can feed your own family, so that you can share it with your own friends. But it's not always easy, is it? You ever find God's word confusing? That's why we're spending five weeks on it. Peter said this about the Apostle Paul's writings. It makes me feel so much better about myself when I can't understand stuff. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent, 2 Peter 3, 14. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. As for our brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him by God, 
as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, as do the other scriptures. This is why people are being run over by false teaching. But he goes on to say this, you though, you therefore, beloved, know, know this beforehand. Take care, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people who lose their own stability, but rather you grow, you grow in grace, you grow in knowledge, you grow in knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever and ever, amen. Peter is saying, don't be led astray, you grow, you feast, you read. You study. Step one, the source of the Bible. Step one, a book you can trust. Why did God write it? John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says this. John in his gospel says this, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did God write the book? Why did he preserve it? Why, why, why are you holding it? Because he desires for you to know him. Do you know him? Have you read the book? You can. But you got to start. And so with this, we want to help you. Over the course of the next month, we're going to, uh, through the app and through emails, we're going to send you just some simple readings throughout the day. Psalm 119, which is all about the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Pastor Ed and others are also going to put some discussion guides together as well that you can do as a family. Uh, you can do them in your small group, whatever you may choose. There's lots of tools that exist, and you take it upon yourself to get into God's Word. Read it chronologically. Some of you are reading chronologically through the Bible this year. But let me say this. Don't just set a goal. Come on. Don't just set a goal. Schedule a habit. You see, goals are optional because goals are usually like high and lofty. And so we, we put them out there and we set them and we feel really good about ourselves. And if we actually hit the goal, then we feel awesome about ourselves. But sometimes we'll go ahead and set the goal so high knowing that we won't achieve it. Therefore, the first time we fail at it, we just put it aside. So don't just set a goal. Schedule a habit. And so all you need to do, in my opinion, is this. You... Consider it for yourself, but on the bottom of your page, you say, I'm going to read God's word. Tell me when. Just, this is when I'm going to, I'm scheduling it right now. I am scheduling a time with God right now. I'm making an appointment with his word, and I'm not going to miss it. I'm making an appointment with God and his word, and I'm not going to miss it. And make a daily appointment. If you can schedule an appointment that you can carry over from day to day to day to day to day, great. Put it in your day planner, actually write it in, type it in, make it reoccur, make it bling, make it ding, make it do a dance if you have to. But you got to keep the appointment. If your schedule is crazy, 
keep the appointment today, then look at your schedule tomorrow and just schedule another appointment. And then schedule another appointment. And then schedule another appointment. Don't just set a goal. Schedule a habit to get into God's word. Because that list at the beginning was not just an introduction. That is what I pray you'll experience as you come to God's word. And so, Father, we thank you for the power of your word, for the authority of this text. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the faith to believe. Father, we thank you for rational minds that enable us to think critically about very important matters. Father, I pray that you would leave, uh, enable us to leave here today feeling a greater confidence about that which we're placing our trust in, your Son. Knowing that we know of your Son because of the authority of this word, oh God, please, strengthen our faith today. For those who are wrestling with these things, for those who aren't sure, for those who have more of a skeptical mind, oh God, we love them. And we believe, Lord God, that you have the strength, the power, and a plan for them. Would you work in their hearts today as well? And then, God, for those who have yet to place their trust in you today, would you please work powerfully in their lives? Because we believe this book was written so that they could know you. Reveal yourself today, Lord God, I pray. Help them to know that they're a sinner who needs a Savior. May they place their faith and their trust in their lives in you. Quiet our doubts. Strengthen our faith, Lord God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?